And so this morning, I want to share with you a message. I had an opportunity to preach Wednesday night at their Wednesday night uh, service. And so I got to speak Wednesday night. On Wednesday night, they had over 700 people in attendance as they came out to hear the word of the Lord in just an amazing time. And I want to share with you a message that I actually shared Wednesday night in Honduras. Uh, so I want to talk to you today about what it means to be strong and courageous. And we're going to look in 1 Chronicles chapter 28. And we're going to actually look at the entire chapter of 1 Chronicles 28. Let me give you a little preempt of what's happening there. In 1 Chronicles 28, King David is at the end of his life. And he is transitioning the kingdom uh, of Israel over to his son Solomon. And he's actually not just transitioning the kingdom to him, but he's giving him a charge because God has given David a vision and a strategy to build the temple of the Lord and to take the next step in what God had ordained for King David and for the nation of Israel. And so we're going to kind of read that story, and we're going to kind of just work through that together. So we're going to begin in uh, 1 Chronicles 28, verse 1 this morning. It says, And David assembled all the princes of Israel, the princes of the tribes, the captains of the companies that ministered to the king by course, and the captains over thousands, the captains over hundreds, and the stewards who were over the substance and the possessions of the king, and of his sons, with the officials, and with the mighty men, and with all the valiant men unto Jerusalem. So David has gathered all the leaders. This is the biggest leaders meeting that Israel's ever had. He's calling all the mighty men, all the leaders, all those in authority, all those in power, and he's grab, grab, uh, gathering them together. And look at verse 2. It says, Then David the king stood upon his feet, and he said, Hear me, my brethren, and my people. For as for me, I had in my heart to build a house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and for the footstool of our God who made ready, who has made, who has made ready for the building. But God said unto me, Thou shalt not build a house for my name, because thou hast been a man of war and hast shed blood. However, the Lord God of Israel chose me before the house of my father to be king over Israel forever. For he has chosen Judah to be the ruler, and of the house of Judah, the house of my father. And among the sons of my father, he liked me to make me king over all Israel. And of all my sons, for the Lord has given me many sons, he has chosen Solomon, my son, to sit upon the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. Verse 6, And he said unto me, Solomon, thy son, he shall build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. So let's look at that first point as we kind of work our way through this scripture today. I want you to see something. Number one, I want you to recognize that David did many mighty things. Look at that first point. David did many mighty things for God, but he couldn't do everything. David did many mighty things for God, but he couldn't do everything. When you look at the life of David, David kind of comes on the scene. He's the shepherd boy that gets anointed king. When he's out in the field, nobody even expects him to be the next king, and he gets anointed as a shepherd boy. He ends up killing Goliath, coming on the scene. He ends up becoming one of the mighty warriors, right? The Bible says they begin to sing this song, Saul has killed his thousands, and David has killed his ten thousands. And here's this little shepherd boy that begins to rise through the ranks, and all of a sudden he begins to build the greatest military that the nation of Israel has ever known. He establishes Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, and he is doing this amazing work under the anointing and the power of God. Now, let's just be really honest as we talk about David today, because David was not a perfect man. <laughs> David had fault, faults and failures and sins. As a matter of fact, he kind of did some of the big stuff, kind of called adultery and murder. How many know that's kind of at the top two things you don't want to do? 
But yet, in spite of his sin, in spite of his weakness, in spite of his shortcomings, the Bible called David a man after God's own heart. And David had a heart that continually turned to repent to the Lord, and he turned back to God. And in spite of David's weakness, God used, in spite of his weakness, God used David mightily. But I want you to see something. Even though David did mighty things, he couldn't do everything. God's vision and, and will for David's life required the next generation, and God's vision for your life requires the next generation. God's vision for David's life required the next generation. He said, David, there's some things. I'm going to give you the pattern. I'm going to give you the plan. I'm going to give you the provision. But there are some things that I want to do in you that's bigger than you. It's not just going to require you. It's going to require the next generation. Let me just encourage you in something today. We have to have a generational mindset. When you read the Bible, you find out that God actually introduces himself this way. I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God introduces himself as a generational God. He's not just a God of one generation. He's a God of every generation. And if we're going to tap into really what God wants to do in our lives individually and what God wants to do in our lives corporately, we have to have a generational vision. We have to recognize it's not about me, it's about the we. Come on, somebody. It's not the me vision, it's the we vision. It's not just what God wants to do in my life, but everything that God is doing in your life, God is doing in your life to set up the next generation to go further and faster than you ever imagined possible. And if you don't have a generational vision, you'll live a self-centered, short-sighted life where you think that everything is about you and I want to get my success and my fame and my fortune and my ministry and my life and my family. And you'll miss the mark of what God has called us to. David was a mighty man and he did many amazing things, but he couldn't do everything because God's vision was bigger than him. And God's vision for your life individually is bigger than you. And here's the good news. It doesn't matter if you're a teenager and you're 13 years old or if you're 75 years old. You are created to be a David to pass on to a Solomon what God wants to do in their life. Every person in this room has got to begin to embrace and understand that we are a next generation people. A next generation people. I just turned 50 years old in December, and I, I kind of made a little decision in my heart that I'm going to spend this next season of my life, and I'm going to be very much intentional. I'm going to invest in the next generation. I'm going to invest in the next generation of leaders and laborers in the house of God. I'm going to invest in the next generation of worshipers and pastors and youth leaders and ministers. I'm going to invest in those who are 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 coming behind them. And I just wrapped up 10 weeks with a small group of 12 men. And I sat down with those 12 men. I looked around the table and I said, guys, I want you to know you're the next generation of leadership here at Liberty Church. And I believe in you. And I am here to equip and empower you. And I want my life to be a stepping stone through which you can go further than I ever imagined possible. Because God's vision for my life, God's vision for your life, and God's vision for this church is a generational vision. We're about to celebrate July the 5th will be our 24th anniversary. July the 5th, 1998, we opened the doors of Liberty Church. But October of 1997, God gave me the vision for this church. I was a Methodist pastor in a Methodist church, and I was seeking the Lord on his next step for my life. And I'm just going to be really honest with you. I was 27 years old. And I remember, I remember when God spoke to me and God gave me the vision for an interdenominational church. He said, Keith, I want you to build North Alabama's greatest church. He said, I want you to focus on winning souls, making disciples, destroying the works of the devil. I want you to create a church that brings the strengths of all the different denominations together under one roof. 
and lay aside the things that divide us and focus on the things that unite us and let's change a nation for the glory of God. And I'll be honest with you, when I was 27 years old and God gave me that vision, I couldn't see anything beyond me. <laughs> I saw my part and, and my responsibility and my commitment and my decision and my choices. And I didn't realize at 27 years old, this thing was going to be a whole lot bigger than me. But at 27, all I could see was my part in the vision. And I'm thankful for this thing called maturity. Because <laughs> maturity is not measured by a number that's called your age. Maturity is measured by your responsibility and your willingness to hear the heart of God and be in tune with what the Holy Spirit has said. And somewhere along the way, it didn't take me very long before I began to realize something. I began to realize this wasn't a me vision, it was a we vision. And that I could spend my life doing everything God had called me to do. And that would be just the beginning. That would be just the beginning. That my life was intended to be a stepping stone for the next generation. That what we would establish at Liberty Church would be something that would be built upon by generations that would come after us that would exceed anything we ever imagined possible. And that God's vision for North Alabama's greatest church that would reach the nations was not about a generational vision. It was about a multi-generational vision. It was not about just what we could do with our hands. It was about what God can do through the hands of generations that are coming behind us. One of my favorite generational quotes is simply this. A gentleman made this statement years ago and I tucked it in my heart. He said this. He said, the compromise of one generation becomes the captivity of the next generation. The compromise of one generation becomes the captivity of the next generation. And let me just be honest with you, we are living in a world where right now we look at our world and we look at our culture and we look at our generation. It's real easy to look at millennials and look at all the different generations that are coming up. And I hear a lot of people that are a couple generations away and they look down and they, they look at the younger generation almost with a little disdain in their heart and they want to critique them and they want to criticize them and they want to talk about how they're not this and how they're not that and how they're not really committed and how they're not really this. Let me give you a revelation today. The current generation is the fruit of the previous generation. They are what they were raised to be. Because the compromise of one generation becomes the captivity of another generation. And if we don't have a generational mindset, then we'll think what we do doesn't matter to anybody else because it's my life and I'm just going to live it. How many know that's the biggest lie you ever heard? It's not just your life because you're connected to people and everybody you're connected to is impacted by the choices and decisions that you make. And if you're a mother or a father, it's definitely not your life. And if you're a Christian, it is not your life. Because you lost your life when you came to Christ and you became a part of the body of Christ. And all of a sudden, we got to begin to get this generational vision. we got to begin to recognize that everybody in this room is somebody's David. And every Solomon needs a David to put their hand on them and empower them. I want to challenge you to think about who you're putting your hand on. Are we setting up the next generation to succeed or are we setting up the next generation to fail? If the, if the compromise of one generation is the captivity of another, let me flip the coin for you. Because the obedience of one generation is the stepping stone of the next generation. And I believe that we can actually catapult a generation forward. They can go further and faster than they ever imagined possible because they're standing on the shoulders of the people that laid down their lives before them. I love what Deuteronomy 28 says. Deuteronomy 28, 28 says this, The secret things belong to the Lord, but those things that are revealed belong to us and to our children. 
I love that scripture because I've seen that scripture made a reality in my life. Because every time I get a revelation from God, I recognize that my kids at 20-year-old were walking in things that it took me 40 years to figure out. You know why? Because the secret things belong to the Lord, but those things that are revealed belong to us and to our children. Why? Because every time you press in to know God, that revelation of who He is in your life gets trans transferred down to your children and your children's children. So right now, my grandkids, Jude, we just had his one-year-old birthday yesterday. At one years old, think about this. He's going to walk in the revelation of God that it took me 50 years to get. He's going to grow up in that kind of home where what it took me 50 years to get and what it took John Wesley, how old are you, John Wesley? 29. I wanted to call him 30. I knew that wasn't right. He's still holding on to those 20s. <laughs> what it took him 29 year old years to get, Jude's walking in right now at 1 o'clock. He's growing up in an atmosphere where those revelations that it took me 50 years, that it took him 29 years, now at one year old, that's the reality of his life. Woo, that's good, guys. That ought to excite you. You ought to get excited about the fact that your children don't have to repeat your mistakes, that your children don't have to follow in the same course of disobedience that you followed in, that your obedience to God creates an atmosphere in your home and in your family where your children come in and begin to walk in at one-year-old what it took you 50 years to obtain. So good. I'm telling you, I'm preaching better than y'all are shouting this morning, so I'm just helping y'all out today. Maybe I've been spoiled by 700 you, uh, Honduras people. I'm not sure. Look at verse 7. I want you to hear this. Moreover, I will establish his kingdom, Solomon's kingdom forever, God said. If he be constant to do my commandments and keep my judgments as it is this day. Look at that next point. God said he would establish Solomon's house if he would be constant to obey God's commands and his judgments. Consistency establishes you. He said he's got to be constant. He's got to be constant to obey my law. Constant to keep my commandments. Constant, constant. Consistency establishes you. We learned this back at the beginning of the year. Remember, we did our 21 day of prayer and fasting. We talked about how consistency beats intensity every day of the week. And God said to Solomon, I will establish your house if you will be constant in obeying my voice. If you'll be constant, consistency, consistent obedience is what establishes you. You want to have a healthy, godly family? Be consistent. See, the reasons we have marriages and families that are falling apart is because there are inconsistencies. We're not consistent in our devotion to God. We're not consistent in our devotion to our spouse. We're not consistent in our faithfulness to the house of God. We're not consistent in doing the things we're supposed to do even though we know we're supposed to do them. If you want to grow in your relationship with God, you've got to be consistent in prayer and the Word. You've got to consistently come before the Lord. You've got to consistently turn your heart to heaven. If you want to build your business and you want to be successful in your business, you've got to be consistent. You've got to be consistent in showing up. You've got to be consistent in doing the things you've been called to do. You can't just work when you feel like it. You just can't return calls when you feel good. You can't just open the business up when it's convenient. No, you got to be consistent. Consistency. And God told Solomon, he said, I'll establish you if you'll be consistent. I want you to understand every area of your life, no matter what it is, your physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, relational life, every area of your life will only be established through consistency. And let me, let me just flip the coin. Because consistent 
inconsistency will destroy your life. And we got a lot of people that are consistently inconsistent. They're really good at not doing anything very long. Intensity is not the key. Consistency is the key. Consistency is the key. I I wrote a devotional book, a 30-day devotional called Soar. And it's seven steps that you do every day for seven days. I can't tell you how many people bought the book and started the book and how many finished it. (laughs) People would say, well, Pastor Keith, do you realize that's the same thing every day? Yeah, it's called consistency. It's called speaking the word every day. It's called praying every day. It's called studying the scripture every day. It's called agreeing with God every day. It's called setting priorities every day. Consistency. And it's the lack of, in, lack of consistency in our lives that's robbing us of living the life that God has. Because God said to Solomon, I will establish you if you will be constant in keeping my commandments. It's daily obedience that wins the day. My favorite, one of my favorite leadership quotes, I'm going to move on, is leadership is not developed in a day. Leadership is developed daily. It's what you do consistency that determines who you really are. Anybody can get fired up for a moment. But it's those who are consistent that actually win the day. Can I get an amen? Verse 8, he says, Now therefore, in the sight of all Israel, the congregation of the Lord, and in the audience of our God, keep and seek for all the commandments of the Lord your God, that you may possess his good land and leave an inheritance for your children after you forever. Even God has given Solomon a generational vision. He says, Solomon, this ain't just for you. I want you to keep and obey the commands of the Lord. I want you to seek my command so that you can leave an inheritance to your children's children. It's not just about you. Look at that next point. See, we have to not only keep, but we have to seek his commandments every day. We have to keep his commandments daily little bit, but we have to seek his commandments. Why? Because every, listen to this, every season of your life requires a new revelation of God's word. Every time, listen to this, every time you go to a new level, it requires you to seek the Lord for a fresh word for your life because every new need requires a specific seed from the Word of God. Every new season requires a new revelation from God. What sustains you in this season will not take you to the next season. Kelly and I have had a lot of fun. We really have enjoyed our children and now our grandchildren. One of the the greatest joys we've had is watching them go through seasons. From, from being babies to being toddlers to being, you know, preschool, elementary, high school teenagers, college age, getting married. Now they're having babies. And you know what's been exciting is watching them recognize that what worked in teenage relationships doesn't work in marriage relationships. And what worked in marriage with two people doesn't work in marriage with kids and every new season requires a new revelation for you to walk in what God has for you and so God told Solomon you got to constantly keep the commandments of the Lord but it's not enough just to obey what you know you got to seek his commandment too because God wants to give you greater revelation because the key to your next level is the revelation of God's word See, you're stuck where you're at because you don't know what you don't know. And the moment you begin to know what you don't know and see what you haven't seen and hear what you haven't heard, you're going to go to a brand new level. 
Isn't it amazing? You think about your personal life, you think about your marriage, you think about your family, you think about your business, you think about your finances. And every time you went to a new level, you gained a new revelation. You learned something you didn't know. You saw something you had never seen. You heard something you had never heard. And every time you got a new revelation that was rooted in the truth of God's word, it took you to a new level. And if you are stuck in your life, let me give you a word today. If you're stuck, Rob gave it to us, right? Today's the day to seek and we will find. Today's the day to knock and it'll be open. If you're stuck in any area of your life, here's your word from God. Seek Him. There's a seed for every need. Jesus said in the Gospel of Luke, I believe it is, he tells the parable of the sower. And he says the sower sows the word and the word of God is the seed. And the seed produces a harvest of 30, 60, and 100 fold. Let me give you some good news about how God wants to work in your life. God's economy works like this. God doesn't want to just meet your needs. God doesn't want to just feed you for a day. God wants to feed you and your family for a lifetime. Let me show you how God's economy works. One of our pastors was, was preaching on finances this week, and he made this statement. I grabbed hold of it. He said, he said, if you think about how powerful it is that one apple seed can become an apple tree. And then he moved on talking a little bit about God's economy. And when he said that, the Holy Spirit quickened my heart. He said, Keith, Google it. Aren't you glad the Holy Spirit can say Google it? That's so cool. <laughs> he said, Google it. So I'm sitting there, and I, got, I Googled it out, and I, began, I learned something. This is what I learned. I learned that one apple seed can produce one apple tree and one apple tree can produce an average year about 300 apples and each apple produces a minimal of five seeds so one apple tree one apple seed produces one apple tree produces 300 apples produces 1500 seeds which has the potential to produce 1500 trees and 1500 trees has the potential to produce 300 apples per tree five seeds per apple which ends up being the potential for 2.2 million trees that came from one seed Because God doesn't want to feed you for a day. God wants to feed you for a lifetime. See, see, we, all, we know the old saying, right? Give a man a fish, you feed him for a meal. Teach a man a fish, you feed him for a lifetime. God, God really doesn't love giving fish. God loves giving seed. Now, God will give you a fish. And at the same time, if you'll be cautious, if you'll be careful, if you'll be alert, inside the mouth of that fish, there'll be a seed that if you'll plant it, it'll produce fruit. God will meet your daily needs, but I'm just telling you, that's not the end goal of God. God's not just interested in giving me this day my daily bread. God wants to give you a seed from the Word of God that if you will plant it into your heart, it'll begin to produce fruit, and it'll produce a tree, it'll produce apples, it'll produce seeds, and it'll begin to feed not just you, it'll feed your family for generations to come. And all of a sudden, that thing will multiply and it'll grow because the Bible says a good man leaves an inheritance not just to his children, but to his children's children. And the Bible says that the blessing of the Lord goes to a thousand generations over those who love Him and keep His commandments. Think about that. A thousand generational blessing. How's that generational blessing going to last a thousand years? It's going to last a thousand years because you planted a seed that produced a tree, that produced an apple, that produced five more seeds, that produced five more trees, that produced 2.2 million trees. That your children's 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 children can reap the benefits and pluck the fruit of something that was planted 200 years before they were ever born. Man, that, that's the power of one word from God. One word from God has the power and the potential to be a seed in your life that produces fruit that will bring provision to every area of your life, spiritually, relationally, physically, financially. That's what God is doing in the church. God's planting seeds. God's growing orchards. <laughs> God's multiplying his kingdom. Why? Because it's not just me, it's we. 
It's not your vision. It's God's vision. It's not one generation. It is multi-generation. As God looks throughout time and sees those that he intends to impact because of your life. So God said to Solomon, keep my commandments and seek my commandments. Look at verse 9. He says, And thou, Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy fathers, and serve him with a perfect heart, a willing mind. For the Lord searches the hearts and understands all the imaginations of the thoughts. And if you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. He says, My son, Solomon, know thou the God of thy father. Look at that next point. It's not enough for us just to obey God. It's not enough for us just to obey God. He wants us to know him. And serve him out of a heart and mind of love, right? It is a love relationship. Christianity is a love relationship. God's not looking for religious robots. God is looking for people that will come and fall in love with him. He wants a love relationship. Christianity is that we might know him. John 17, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Matthew 7, Jesus said, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, because I never knew you. Christianity is about knowing God. It's about an intimate relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. It's not religious robots. It's not religious ritual. It's not just punching the clock and going through the motions and doing all the things on the outside. How many know you can do everything on the outside and still be not right on the inside? It's like the story of the little five-year-old boy that wouldn't sit down in his chair and his mom kept telling him to sit down and to sit down and to sit down. And finally she said, if you don't sit down in that chair, when your dad gets home, I'm going to have him whoop your tail. He sat down in that chair. He said, I'm sitting down, but I'm standing up on the inside. <laughs> How many know sometimes we're sitting down, but we're really standing up on the inside? We're doing all the right things on the outside, but on the inside, our heart is far from God. God told Solomon, you got to keep the commandments, you got to seek the commandments, but it's not enough just to keep and seek. You got to know God because God's searching the heart. It's not religious ritual. It is a heart relationship with the Lord that transforms us. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, but it is the love of God that produces obedience in our lives. I run from sin because I fear God, but I run to righteousness because I love Him. Because I love Him. And it's that, it's that love relationship that produces an obedient heart, right? We don't have to serve God. We get to serve God. We don't have to go to church. We get to go to church. We don't have to share our faith. We get to share our faith. We don't have to, we don't have to distribute shoes and backpacks and school supplies. We get to distribute shoes and backpacks and school supplies. We don't have to show up and serve next Saturday. We get to show up and serve next Saturday. Man, it's a joy. It's an honor. It's a privilege. Because God's looking at the heart, a heart that loves Him, a heart that serves Him out of that intimacy with the Lord. Look at verse 10. He says, and take heed, for the Lord has chosen thee to build a house for the sanctuary. So be strong and do it. The Lord has chosen thee to build a house for the sanctuary. Look at that next point. God has chosen you to build his house. God has chosen you to build his house because you are the temple of the Lord. I want you to listen to this next statement. When you do what God has called you to do, your life will strengthen the church and it will build God's house. You've been chosen to build God's house. You are His temple. The Bible says we are living stones that have been fitly joined together. We are the body of Christ. And the hand can't say the foot, I don't need you. Now listen to me. This is important. The hand can say to the foot, I don't like you. You smell funny. But the hand can never say to the foot, I don't need you. 
How many know in your family, you don't always like everybody in the family, but it's really good you love them? And you don't always like what they do, and you don't always like the decisions they make, and you don't always like the choices they make, and you don't always like the paths they take, but they're family. And because they're family, you love them, and you realize, you know what, I need you. We're family. We're one body. We're connected together. And we are the body of Christ. We are the temple of the Lord. And we are living stones being fitly joined together according to God's purpose and plan so that together we build His house. See, when you do what God has called you to do, it strengthens the church and builds up the body of Christ. Your personal success brings divine strength. And by success, I don't mean money. By success, I mean doing what God has called you to do. And if that means you make a whole lot of money, that is awesome. But if it makes it means you make a whole lot of impact, that's awesome too. It's about doing what God has created and called you to do. And when you do what God's called you to do, and I do what God's called us to do, we come together and there's a supernatural strength. We talked about it in our Brother's Keeper message. The closer we get to the end of the age, the more we need each other. And we need a strong church to reach a broken world. Guess how we strengthen the church? We strengthen the church by strengthening our hearts and lives under the Lord. And as I present myself as a living sacrifice to the Lord, and I realize i got to be fitly joined together. Look at that last statement on this stage right here. Anything that disconnects you, anything that disconnects you, hear this, anything that disconnects you from God's house is a scheme of the enemy to disconnect you from your divine purpose. Anything that disconnects you from God's house is a scheme of the enemy that disconnects you from God's divine purpose for your life. I've told this story many times. It's a little kind of gruesome in our minds, but I think it paints a great, great picture. If you were to cut the hand of, off of a five-year-old child and put it in a box. 20 years later, you'd have a 25-year-old man. And 20 years later, you'd open the box and there'd be a five-year-old hand in the box. The man would grow, the hand would die. Why? Because anything disconnected from the body withers and dies. And when you disconnect yourself from the body of Christ, you need to recognize something. Anything that disconnects you. I've heard a lot of creative, religious ideas that people have used to disconnect themselves from the body of Christ and every single time no not one exception have I seen those people not flourish and grow but wither and begin to die if you don't stay connected to the body you lose the wholeness and health that God intended for you why because we are one body it's not we it's it's not me it's we and we are intended to be together. We are the body of Christ. We are the temple of the Lord. We are living stones intended to be fitly and rightly joined together. And when we draw together, guess what happens? Amazing things begin to rise up out of what God is doing in us. Because we're better together. Can I get an amen? Verse 11. David said to Solomon, his son, God's given me the pattern of the porch, the house, the treasures, the upper chambers, the inner parlors, the place for the mercy seat. Verse 12, he's given me the pattern for all that he had by the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, he says, has given me the pattern for the courts, for the house of the Lord, for the chambers all round about, for the treasures of the house of God, and for the treasuries of the dedicated things. Look at that next point. The Holy Spirit is the divine architect of God's house and your life and my life. And the Bible is the blueprint. The Holy Spirit is the architect, but the Bible is the blueprint. And if you follow the pattern of the Bible and the leadership of the Holy Spirit, guess what will happen? God will build your house. Here's the blueprint. 
God's given us a blueprint called the Bible. David said to Solomon, he said, all the patterns and all the plans that I have, I have because the Spirit of God gave them to me. The Holy Spirit is the architect, and God's Word is the blueprint. And if you build your life on anything except for the blueprint of the Bible and under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, then you're following the wrong pattern. And Jesus said it this way. Jesus said, if you build your life on my words, whoever hears me and obeys me, he said, is like a man who builds his house on a rock. And the winds come and the waves come and the storms come and his house stands. But whoever does not hear me and obey me, then the winds come and the storms come and great will be the fall. Let's be honest. There, there are a lot of, there are a lot of ideas and ideologies and philosophies out there on how you ought to live life, how you ought to raise your family, how you ought to do all these things. And all that stuff is awesome and good as long as it lines up with this. As a matter of fact, every, every success principle in every area of life that works can be traced back to the Bible. There are a lot of them that don't work, by the way. There are a lot of principles that don't work. There are a lot of teachings that say, hey, you can succeed. And what they really mean is you can make a lot of money if you don't mind sacrificing your family. Or you can become famous if you don't mind sacrificing your integrity or your character. Or you can have everything that your heart ever wanted if you don't mind having it. And at the end of your life, you're actually standing there all alone because nobody can really stand being around you because you're a very selfish, self-centered person. But you know what the Bible says about the blessing of God? The Bible says the blessing of the Lord makes one rich and adds no sorrow to it. And that's good right there. The blessing of the Lord makes one rich and adds no sorrow to it. Worldly wisdom brings sorrow. Godly wisdom brings blessing with no sorrow. So we've got to follow the book. Amen? Verse 13 through 19. I'm going to let you read that when you get home. Basically what David says in verse 13 through 19, David says all the silver, all the gold, and everything we need to build God's house, I've already got it. I've accumulated the silver. I've accumulated the gold. I've accumulated all the possessions. Look what he says in verse 19. He says, And then David said, The Lord has made me understand in writing by his hand upon me even all the works of this pattern. So David said, everything that we need, uh, Solomon, everything. Here's the pattern for what we're going to build. And here's all the silver and here's all the gold. And here's everything you're going to need to do what God is calling you to do as the next king of Israel. And he said, all of this understanding to lay out the pattern, to build the blueprint, and to accumulate the wealth. Everything that I've done, I have done because God's hand was upon me. Look at that next point. We need more than worldly wisdom. We need revelation, knowledge, and understanding from God. Hear this last statement. It is God's blessing, not our strategy, that brings success. It's God's blessing, not our strategy. We need more than worldly wisdom. I think we, we need to look at successful people. We need to look at people that are doing what we want to do better than us. And we need to learn from them and we need to glean from them. But anything that we glean and learn from them must line up with the Word of God and the Spirit of God. But at the end of the day, it's not our strategy, it's, our God, it's God's blessing. Unless the Lord builds a house, the Psalms has said, they that build it labor in vain. Pastor Caesar was our interpreter in Honduras, and, and he had just uh, went into business. To, he had just launched a new business just a couple weeks before we got there. And he, and he leased this big soccer field, and he's going to rent this soccer field out. And there's a lot of story behind all that. But as he was sharing with us, on Saturday or on Sunday as we were talking with him, Friday before we got there, he was praying about his business and the Lord told him this. He said, 
He said, it's good that you have went and you've talked with businessmen. And he, he said, I, I went with some successful businessmen. I've got, a, I've got a business plan. He said, I've went to some marketers. I've got a marketing plan. He said, so I know how I'm going to run my business and I know how I'm going to market my business. He said, but that Friday before we got there, he said, the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, it's great that you have a business plan. You need it. It's great that you have a marketing plan. You need it. He said, but it's not enough. He said, I want you to go out there for the next month, every day at 5 a.m., and I want you to stand in the middle of that soccer field, and I want you to pray and prophesy over that business. Why? Because it's not the strategy of man. It's the blessing of God that makes it work. We need strategy. We need plans. We need marketing. We need all that stuff. But at the end of the day, the thing that's going to distinguish you and set you apart is not going to be the work of man. It's going to be the hand of God. And the power of prayer and prophecy as you pray and prophesy over your business, over your family, over your future is un unimaginable what will happen when you will begin to decree and declare according to God's Word. The Bible says God calls those things that are not as though they were. He looked at the darkness and He said, let there be light. He looked at the chaos and He brought order. Why? Because He spoke into existence the very thing He wanted to create. You can do all the work as far as the wisdom of the world, but unless God puts His hand on it, its success will be limited. Let me give you some good news. There's an unlimited source called the hand of God. God's hand never runs out. And if he stretches his hand on it, guess what will happen? It will work. Can I get an amen from somebody? Verse 20 and 21. Here's where we're going. I said all that to say this. Y'all good? And David said to Solomon, my son, be strong and of good courage. And do not fear nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God, even my God, is with you. And he will not fail thee, he will not forsake thee, until thou hast finished all the work of the service of the house of the Lord. And verse 21, he says, And behold, the course of the priests and the Levites, even they shall be with thee. And for all the service of the house of God, and there shall be with thee for all manner of workmanship, every willing, skillful man, for any manner of service also, the princes and all the people will be holy at thy command. So listen to what David says. David says, Solomon, here's the plan. Here's the provision. In verse 21, he says, here's the people. Everything you need to do what God has called you to do, I'm giving it to you. Everything you need to do what God has called you to do, I'm giving it to you. Now listen to this. I want you to hear this. But he says, be strong and of good courage and do it. And do not fear nor be dismayed. Why? Look at that next point. Because even, look at that next point on the screen if you will. Even when you have a clear vision and all the provision, you still have to do the work. Even when you have a clear vision and all the provision you're going to need, you still have to do the work. And David knew something. David knew, listen to me today, he knew that the hardest part, listen to me, the hardest part of the vision is the work. You got to do the work. He said, be strong and courageous. When I read that a few weeks ago in my quiet time, I thought, Lord, why do I need to be strong and courageous if I've got a clear vision, i got all the provision I need? It sounds like i got all I need. Yeah, God said, you got everything but the work. <laughs> be strong and courageous. And then he said, and do it. Be strong and courageous and do the work. Why? Because the hardest part is the work. If you want to have a healthy family, let me tell you what the hardest part is. It's not a vision for a healthy family, and it's not the provision to have a healthy family. It's the work. It's the work. 
It's loving, forgiving, serving, caring, sacrificing, laying down your life. It's the work. That's the hardest part. You want to have a successful business? It's not hard. The vision, it's not the vision. It's not even the provision. Let me tell you something. God gives vision and God gives provision. The Bible says it's the, it's the blessing of the Lord. God gives us the power to create wealth. It's not the vision. It's not the provision. God gives those. But you know what God doesn't do? God doesn't do your part. The Bible says we're laborers together with God. And you can't do God's part and God won't do your part. The hardest part of the vision is the work. It's the work of the ministry. It's the work of the vision. It's the work of the family. It's the work of raising the kids. Man, getting pregnant is a lot of fun. <laughs> Come on. Raising babies is a lot of work. And you know where people miss it? It's in the work. It's the work of the vision. Let me give you our last point right here. Most people don't lose the battle because the enemy overpowers them. They lose the battle because they grow weary from the work. And they get distracted by a desire to do something different or new. They don't lose the battle because the enemy overpowers them. They lose the battle because they quit. The devil doesn't have to defeat you if you throw in the towel. And that's the revelation of what happens. Most people don't get defeated by the enemy. They just grow weary by the work. And they give up and they give in and they throw in the towel and they just stop trying. And I never knew it was going to be this hard and I never knew it was going to be this difficult. But David knew it. David said, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. It won't be easy. It'll be challenging. You got vision and you've got provision. That's just the beginning. Here's the hard part. You got to do it. You got to do the work. You got to get in the trenches. You got to lay the foundation. You got to get dirty. You got to get sweaty. You're going to have some cuts and some scrapes and you're going to get your heart broken. You're going to probably get stabbed in the back a few times along the way. And it's going to be hard and it's going to be difficult and it's going to be challenging. And every day is not going to be, whoo, this is a good day. No. Some days are going to be days you're going to endure and you're going to press through. But you got to do the work. It's the work of the vision that produces the results that we're looking for. It's the work of the vision that brings forth the things that God intended in our lives. And not only do we grow weary by the work, that last part says that we get distracted by something new. Are different. Let's just be honest. Man, we live in a, we get bored easy. I record these videos online. Used to be five minutes, people would watch it. Then it was three minutes that people watch it. If you go more than 30 seconds, they're probably not going to watch it to the end. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Oh, yeah, that was good. Whoop, that was good. Whoop, that was good. Whoop, that was good. Whoop, that was good. Whoop. Well, what'd you listen to this week? I heard a lot of five second stuff. It was great. You know why we get easily bored? We're so distracted. We can't focus on anything for any amount of time. We're going to wear our thumbs out scrolling through social media because we want to see what the next great thing is that's happening. Let me see the next thing. 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 Let me see the new thing. What's the next thing? And I want you to hear me today. I want you to hear this say. This is the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. It's long obedience in the same direction. That changes the world. The Holy Spirit reminded me this week. He said, Keith, just think about Noah. Just think about Noah for a minute. Noah, for 100 years, built one boat and did one thing for 100 years. 
He built one boat and did one thing for a hundred years. For a hundred years he labored on that ark. For a hundred years he did the same thing. Cut the wood, saw the wood, build the boat. Cut the wood, saw the wood, build the boat. Cut the wood, saw the wood, build the boat. Cut the wood, saw the wood, build the boat. Patch, put the pitch, put the pitch, put the pitch, put the pitch, put the pitch. Cut the wood, saw the wood, build the boat. You talk about boring. After a hundred years it had to get old. And Noah, listen to this, in Noah's mind, I just had this thought, in Noah's mind, maybe, maybe Noah only thought he was saving his family. But God saw something bigger than that, right? God, Noah said, I'm going to save my family by building this boat. God says, you're going to save the world. Me and you're here. Me and you are here today because Noah labored for 100 years on one project come on 100 years on one project he gave his heart to the one thing that God had called him to do now let me just give you a final closing thought we're gonna wrap up with this if you're here today and you're born again let me give you some good news you are a son and a daughter of God if you're here today and you're born again, you're a son or a daughter of God. You've been born in, you've been adopted into the family of God. The question is never your identity in Christ. You are who he says you are. You have what you, he says you have. You are a child of God. But here's the question. The question is not are you a son or a daughter. The question is, are you a laborer? Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers, the workers are few. See, the only thing keeping Liberty Church from being a church of a thousand people this year is labor. Labor. The only thing. The only thing keeping your, your marriage from growing from where it is to the next level of healthy and life-giving is labor. The only thing keeping your business from doubling in the next six months or 12 months or three years is labor. Oh, yeah, you need a vision, and you need a strategy, and you need a plan, and you got to do it. But at the end of the day, if you don't work the vision, it don't work. And you can have all the vision and all the provision, but you got to have the labor. The question is never, are we sons and daughters of God? The question is, are we laborers in the harvest? Because that's how the harvest comes in. That's how we do what God has called us to do individually and corporately. I've got to be a laborer in the field. Because the hardest part is the work of the vision. So hear God's word. Be strong and courageous and do the work. Be strong and courageous and do the work. Why? Because it's not about me or you. It's about the next generation. And we're supposed to pass a mantle that's going to reach generations to come. So let's do the work. Amen? And be strong and courageous. Let's bow our heads today. Maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you're watching online and you realize, Pastor Keith, I've never been born again. You talked about those who had accepted Christ, that they had been adopted in the family of God. They were sons and daughters. And maybe you realize this morning, that's not me. I've never been saved. I'm not a child of God. I know right now that if, if I were to die, I'm not right with God. But today is my day. I believe that God brought you here intentionally on purpose. I believe you're watching online intentionally and on purpose because Jesus died that you might have life and have it more abundantly. 
And if you don't know him, today you can know him. He died that you might know him. He paid the penalty for your sin and my sin that we could have eternal life. And if you've never been what Jesus called being born again, a supernatural birth, not a religious ritual, but a supernatural birth that launches you into relationship with God. If you've never experienced that today, you say, today I, I realize I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And I want to ask Jesus to be my Lord and my Savior today. If that's you, I want you just to raise your hand. Just slip it up all over this building. Just raise it right now. Every head's bowed, every eye's closed. This is between you and the Lord. But it's an act of faith just to raise your hand. If you're watching online, just hit that hand emoji. Type in that chat box, I'm raising my hand. If you've never been born again and today you want to accept Jesus, just raise your hand. Slip it up. I want to pray with you. We're about to pray in this house. We're going to pray with everybody in this room and everybody watching online. Because I believe Jesus wants to save souls today. Let's pray this prayer out loud. Everybody say it with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Rose again on the third day. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Welcome to the family. Amen. We love you guys so much. Thank you for who you are and all you do. Have a blessed day. Be strong and courageous. Come on, guys. We can do it in Jesus' name. Have a great day. We love you guys.